From the NEE Casey Foundation, I'm Lisa Hamilton, and this is CaseyCast. In January, the Casey Foundation announced that we are dedicating at least half of our investments over the next decade to improving the well-being and prospects of youth and young adults ages 14 to 24. Our goal is to equip all young people with the connections, communities, and opportunities that they need not just to survive, but thrive by age 25. Joining us today is Sarah Heminger, a guest who shares Casey's commitment to supporting young people. In 2004, Sarah founded a Baltimore-based nonprofit called Thread. Today, as Thread's chief executive officer, Sarah oversees the organization's efforts to support local youth who are facing significant challenges. Thread matches select high school freshmen with up to four mentors for nearly 10 years, a move that radically and permanently reconfigures the social support network for all involved. This approach aims to break the cycle of poor educational and economic outcomes in some communities and replace it with a new cycle of educational attainment, service, and well-being. Welcome, Sarah, and thanks for joining us today on CaseyCast. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us why you created Thread and what it does and what you hoped to accomplish? Absolutely. So I grew up originally in Indianapolis, Indiana, in an incredibly religious family. And when I was about eight years old, my parents found out that the pastor of the church we were attending had been misusing money. And when they revealed that to the congregation, Instead of firing the pastor, they decided that they would shun my family. So from the time I was eight to the time I was 16, I would go to church sometimes three days a week, as much as six hours in one setting. And other children, adults, my own cousins, aunts, and uncles were instructed not to speak to me, um, to ignore me, um, to act as though my family really didn't exist. And, you know, during that time, I learned a lot about what it feels like to be disposable and what it feels like to be unseen. I had also had a close friend in high school who his mom had been in a bad car accident. She had been unable to walk for quite a while and couldn't work. She lost her job. They lost their home. They moved from suburban Indianapolis into public housing. And as a result, she became depressed and addicted to Delotted and then began selling drugs to support her own her own habit. So he essentially went from, as he would in his own words put it, cornfields to what was essentially a crack house in an 18-month period that coincided with his transition into high school. And so when I met him, he was a straight-A student, he was a varsity athlete, he was a senior, I was a freshman, I clearly had a crush. <laughs> and um, you know, when you're 14 years old, the last thing you want to do is say to someone you have a crush on, like, so what, what, what's, what, what was up with all that? You know, I would hear rumors about him and how do you really open that conversation? And, um, he explained that like, you know, after what had happened with his family, his freshman year, he had actually failed his classes and missed more than 30 days of school and was going to drop out. And there was a group of teachers who really just saw him as a human being and said, we're going to drive you to school because it's a lot easier to go to school when you have a ride than if you have to take two or three buses that take, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And we're going to make sure you have breakfast because it's a lot easier to focus on school if you're not hungry. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, we're going to make sure you have a place to do your laundry because high school is brutal as it is. And so, you know, you don't want to be teased because your clothes aren't clean. And for him, what that did is no one can make decisions for you, but they can certainly influence your decisions. And that influenced his decision and his ability to focus on his academics. And, um, you know, so I like to joke that my first strategic planning process was convincing him to date me and then <laughs> later marry me. And so we've now been married 21 years. And at the same time, I had this incredibly closely knit family. Um, and I was driving past Dunbar High School one day. And that's when I made it the assumption that there were young people in Dunbar High School that were like my husband, capable, beautiful, brilliant young people that might have things happening outside of the school that were making it more challenging to focus on their academics. And we began just by asking the principal at Dunbar, um, we really wanted to you know, build this community with young people who academically rank uh, in the bottom 25% of their class. But again, like brilliant, beautiful, capable young people. And so now what we do is when young people come into the thread in, in their freshman year of high school, they stay with us for 10 years. <laughs> we, um, and then during that time, there's kind of three, uh, three ways in which we build community. And we, we call it doing life together. <laughs> what we really do in thread is we just do life together. Uh, the first is that each young person and their family has a group of, you know, up to four volunteers and those volunteers engage in the same way you would with your family. So your own child or niece or nephew or cousin or an aunt or uncle. So that could be things like rides to school, but in, you know, in COVID, it could be calling to make sure that they're logged in first thing in the morning into Google classrooms. What we're really looking for is to create space in which a young person can find their purpose, that intersection of what they're great at and what they're passionate about and what the world needs. And so we do that by also having program spaces like camping and after-school thread hours and community service. That Those are really spaces where volunteers and students gather. And then the third piece is we have collaborators. And collaborators are extraordinarily impactful in, you know, as a young person is working towards a goal, um, oftentimes you encounter barriers. Maybe it's an eviction or uh, a health challenge. And so our, our collaborators provide pro bono resources and expertise in legal health housing that support our young people and volunteers in, in working through those barriers so that they can um, really focus on, on achieving their own goals. That, that is amazing. So it really is a way to wrap um, uh, uh, caring adults around uh, the lives of these young people to help them navigate barriers that might come up in their lives, but also to find a path forward um, that can, uh, as you said, give them a, a sense of purpose. And that is really beautiful. And I'm inspired by the way um, that you and so many other social innovators um, take their own personal experience or the experience of people they love and Think about how to solve the challenge they have. It wouldn't be case if we didn't talk data. Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, the, the scope and scale of the work that you're doing. How many young people have you worked with um, and what kind of outcomes are you looking for and that you can point to as evidence of Thread's success? So we currently enroll high school freshmen from six local high schools here 
in Baltimore. Um, the average incoming GPA of our students is 0.79 on a 4.0 scale. We, you know, our overall goal is to reach a capacity where we actually enroll 7% of every freshman class across the school district each year. Uh, we currently work with 655 young people and alumni, as well as over 2,000 volunteers and collaborators. And while we understand that milestones like high school graduation and you know completion of a post-secondary program are not enough, they are critical milestones. So with each young person in THREAD, we commit to them for 10 years. And during that 10 years, in the first four years, the focus really is on you know, helping them define their purpose, but along the way, making sure that they're able to attend school and complete their credits and graduate from high school. And, and from there, they opt into one of five post-high school pathways. So entrepreneurship, straight to workforce, a certification program, or a two or four-year college degree. But what we're really looking for in the kind of the big picture is in that last six years, it's not just about opting into and completing that post-high school pathway and becoming enrolled, but it's also having the deep and permanent uh, relationships that will allow them to have access to remove barriers along the way as life <laughs> happens. You know, <laughs> um, these things aren't you know contained to this ten-year period, and so really. Um, wanting to make sure that there's the permanence in the relationships. And so what we've seen over the last 17 years now is that if you look in Baltimore City Public Schools for young people that have GPAs of less than 1.0 during their freshman year, uh, only 6% graduate in four years. Uh, in thread, it's 10 times that number, so 69%. And then if you extend out uh, to six years, 84% of all of our students have completed high school. And then again, if we reach out a bit further and look at our alumni, 69% of our young people have completed a four or two year degree or certification. Um, I'm curious about how you um, interact with family. I'm certain these young people have, um, you know, existing families who love and care about them. How do you thread the thread family uh, into their existing support structures? Yeah, the way we engage families is really just how we engage humans in general. So we take a, we have a fundamental belief that building relationships, especially relationships across lines of difference, is going to take time. And part of that is you have to build trust and building trust takes time. And so when, when building trust, we think about three components, so sincerity, competence, and reliability. It's not that we have any answers. We don't even know, <laughs> we're not even aware of what, what, um, what, what their life is like at the time when you first meet. What we say is, what we can do is say, we'd love to stand alongside you and walk beside you for the next decade. <laughs> and, um, and part of that is this understanding that um, we all have something to give and we all have something to learn. So it's this fundamental belief that, you know, the Thread volunteers are going to learn from our young people just as much, if not more. And the same is true of, of our families. So it's in no way meant to replace families. 
it's quite the opposite. You can kind of think of thread as like a group of neighbors. Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, We integrate into one another's lives in all directions. So, you know, when you can look at the quantitative data, like a high school graduation rate, but the way we speak about it inside a thread is the way you know that you're actually succeeding in building a thick and sticky relationship is can a young person name your your siblings? Like, have they met your siblings? Do they know your partner? Have they been to your home? Um, a lot can happen over 10 years. For young people entering the program, what do they need? And then 10 years later, how has that changed? You know, I think what a young person needs, um, I think first and foremost is the same thing that we all need, which is to feel that someone else actually sees and understands me. You know, we think about social media and all these ways in which we're quote unquote connected. And yet so many of us, I think, can move through life and be in a room with hundreds of people and yet feel completely unknown. And so I think what our young people really need is to to be known um, for someone to get them. (laughs) And, you know, a lot of that is it, it comes about actually based on the behavior of the adult. So, you know, if the volunteer is, they say they're going to pick a young person up for school and you want a young person to be responsible, go to school, then the adult needs to be responsible and show up to take them to school. Um, And it's not just about, you know, showing up. You do need to consistently show up in, in a young person's life, but it's when you show up, how do you show up? So, are you vulnerable? Do you share your challenges? Um, because what starts to happen um, for a young person is when you share with them the challenges that you're going through and the things that you're struggling with, you start to move from this place of um, you matter to me to I need you. And that mm. is just a fundamentally different orientation. And I think that I need you um, it's this like well that starts to fill up inside of a young person where they start to see themselves differently as someone who matters and can be helpful. And obviously there's systemic and long sustained barriers though that our young people face. Um, but it's, it's unique to each person. So one young person might need the barrier, for example, for them attending school might be that they're staying home to care for two younger siblings while a parent goes to work. And so what that young person might need in terms of initial support is actually for the thread volunteers to, to help get the younger siblings enrolled in Head Start and actually take the younger siblings to, sk- to school in the morning, not them. Um, for another person, it could be you know that they are struggling with anxiety and depression and having gone through a trauma or a series of trauma. And what they need is to actually uh, have mental health services that support them in developing healthy coping mechanisms for that trauma. So it, it just depends on the young person. That's, that's wonderful. Well, it certainly sounds like an important part of your approach are the people who agree to 
um, support your participants throughout their journey. In sort of lay people's terms, some folks might refer to them as mentors, but your model obviously is is much richer than that. But what do you think makes a good mentor or a, or a good thread volunteer, and how do you find these people? <laughs> it's interesting. We've been asked this. Um, I think anyone can be a good volunteer. A person who makes for a good volunteer is not someone who has everything figured out. That's impossible. It's actually someone who's willing to give up their right to comfort. It's someone who's willing to fight against their own desire to have things be perfect, right? Another dominant culture construct. It's, It's someone who's willing to go on a journey and in that journey begin to understand themselves and their own biases and unpack that and and move from implicit to explicit in what their biases are. And it's someone who who believes, even if they haven't yet experienced it, that lines that building relationships across lines of difference is critical to understanding both yourself and others, because it's in building those relationships that you then remove you have blind spots removed. Um, you begin to see things that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. Um, I, I'll give you a quick example, um, both embarrassing, but <laughs> potentially instructive. Um, this is years ago, but I was sitting in my lab at the time and I was sitting with a young man named Albert. He was 17. We were working. It was late on a Friday night. He was doing an online course and I was doing what I was doing. I work and you know, he said to me, he, he, he stopped and paused and he was like, you're a terrible wife. He's like, if I were married to you, I would divorce you. You never go home. You never spend time with your husband. He's like, you're always here. You're always working. You're always doing thread. You're always doing lab. He's like, I'll bet you don't even cook. <laughs> and he was like a 17 year old. And the thing about it is, is, you know, we, we talk about again in thread, telling the truth with love. So calling a thing, a thing. And so often in life, you know, you go through a day and no one tells you there's spinach between your teeth. And yet Albert was willing to say the really hard thing to me that it turns out my parents, my friends, my colleagues, like everyone else saw it, but no one else told me. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, when you ask what makes for a good volunteer, it's someone who is open to having their blind spots revealed and open to understanding their bias and how that impacts how they move through the world and how others experience them. That's not something I can imagine you put on an application. How do you, how do you ferret that out about, uh, about someone? So we don't put it in an application. We actually, as it relates to volunteers, we don't screen for that. What we do is we believe that if you're going to provide support for young people, you also have to provide support for volunteers. Mm -hmm. So the way Thread is structured is that each of those four volunteers is coached by, by a person called a head of family, um, who is another volunteer. And that person is trained and equipped on how to guide volunteers, not just through thread things, right? So that head of family might coach a volunteer on, okay, you go to someone's home and you knock on the door for 20 minutes and no one answers. And then you go on day two and someone answers, but you get cussed out, you know, like, so most people, um, 
you know, like the, the goal is to stay in the game long enough to build the trust, right? So each time that volunteer goes back to that home, they're actually building trust because they're demonstrating reliability to the young person and their family. And you do that. I mean, sometimes we'll do that for three, four, five, six months hmm. before you get a real conversation. But eventually the young person says, who is this person that won't stop coming by? Um, but in order to build that resilience in a volunteer, because it would be hard on any human being to be rejected essentially that many times, they need support. And so that head of family is that person that, you know, when you get in your car and cry and say, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, get Johnny to talk to me today. It's the head of family that says, well, what did you learn about yourself? <laughs> like, why does that bother you so much? Like, what are the things that are really, what, why are you really crying? Is it about Johnny? Is it about something else? Like, what's really going on here? What do you need in order to come back tomorrow? Hmm. Um, it's about, again, it's about like being in community and doing life together. And so being perfect is actually not helpful. What is helpful is demonstrating that you'll come back day after day after day um, to someone's home because what that then says to them is they have it in them to go day after day after day until they finally work through that class that they were struggling to pass or mm -hmm. work through that relationship with that friend that they had been struggling to like repair. Because if you start to build out the muscles of acting in this way, that it starts to then spill over into where our young people go to college and school and work. It starts to spill in over into where volunteers work and go to school. Um, it starts to spill over into how we all interact with our families. Um, and that if you could reach, you know, critical mass within a city, you could start to change how the, the fabric of the city is woven. And that's, that's really what we're trying to do because again, like our young people, even though they can rock high school graduation and complete a post-secondary degree program, the world right now is just not meant for them. And so really the question we're trying to answer and is the thing that keeps us up at night is like, how do we change that? But it's beautiful, Sarah, to, to hear you describe not just the process, but really what the ambition of the work is. We didn't talk about the name Thread and why you chose that, but it really is a way that you are trying to tie a community together. And the way that we are measuring that is often about the success of our young people, which I think is a fair measurement for any society. But um, I think your, your ambition really is um, beyond the young people and recognizing that the challenges they face aren't of their own doing, that is often of society's doing. And so by engaging this um, you know, group of volunteers to, to support these young people, you're really teaching them and teaching the young people how to be in community with one another, which at the end of the day creates a profound sense of belonging, I think, for all of them in a, in a community, which is what we need these days. Let me ask you about something you, that's really come out in our conversation, and that's about how you work with young people. You know, at, at Casey, we are coming to appreciate the profound difference between partnering with young people and serving them. Um, and you've started to talk about how young people have a voice um, and active role in these individual relationships, but how do you give young people a, a voice at Thread and how has their input helped shape your work? I love that question. So, I mean, for us, um, this is so 
in our DNA. And I think part of it comes from my family. The way that my parents engaged me and my siblings was to always include us in decision-making. So I, for as long as I remember, since I was like five years old, um, they would say, well, what do you think about this? Or how do you think we should do this? Or do you think we should buy this house? Or should we move at all? Should we, what do you think we should do about this situation with so-and-so? And so what they were trying to do is not create, um, uh, you know, tap, they were trying to teach me to think, um, to question things, to try to understand things. And so there was a humility in, um, and a curiosity in the way that they approached problem solving that I don't think I understood until much, much later in life was unusual. Um, and so on the first day of thread, I, I mean, I was completely clueless, but I, I walked in and, and there, you know, I'd been, the principal had said, here's, here's a group of young people. And I said, I have no clue what's going on, but I was thinking maybe we could start with these three buckets the best I could come up with. And, and so I put them up on the chalkboard I said academics, community service and team building. And they immediately said, yeah, yeah those are the buckets. I was like, all right, what are we going to do? <laughs> so it was a, it was really like a, just a brainstorming session together. But what came out of that, like literally came out of the first day of thread was they said, you know, we're struggling academically. We want tutoring. I said, okay, we can do that after school. That sounds reasonable. And then they were like, you know, and we want to go to the Maryland food bank to, um, we want to focus on food as our community service. I said, okay. Um, and they said, the other thing is we, we really want to go camping. <laughs> I, like, wow. I hate camping. I was like, please don't. I'm thinking to myself, please, anything else? Can we do something different? But I said, okay, we'll go camping. By the way, our first camping trip, um, we go camping every year still. Like, so the things that they put up on the board that day, mm -hmm. we still do 17 years later. Um, the first camping trip though, this is how, again, ignorant I was. We went in January with eight inches of snow on the ground. So oh <laughs> it turned out to be one of the best weekends of, I think all of our lives. Um, it's one of those things we talk about, you know, one of those moments, those shared experiences that only the people there fully understand, but it was, it was just, I don't know, just it's transformative. So, so, you know, asking young people, what do you, what should we do? How should we do this has always been a part of how we've engaged in kind of the evolution of threads community model. And that also has been inclusive of our volunteers. So when we've reached different inflection points, um, for example, if you think about this idea of a head of family and the four volunteers, it actually doesn't scale because <laughs> then you end up with, you know, if you have a hundred young people at a high school, then you'd have a hundred heads of family working directly with a, a staff person. So again, we took that challenge back to our young people and volunteers and said, well, what do we do about that? And they said, well, why don't we create a grandparent? <laughs> and so now there's like a grandparent who's basically the CEO of what we call a thread. So a thread has eight young people, eight um, sets of volunteers, eight heads of family and a grandparent. And that, as we've grown, has become a very key thing because that little unit it, it is, it is like your people and it's like your sorority or your fraternity, mm. um, inside of, of thread. There's also the like super formal ways that, you know, the voices of our young people are leading and, you know, have led and continue to lead, um, our strategic direction. 
you know, at this point, they are driving things like our compliance policy <laughs> um, inside of our staff team. They are, um, you know, developing things like our COVID policy. So they're in, they're intimately involved in all aspects of of Thread and and likewise on our board. So um, two of our 13 board members are student and alumni, um, two are volunteer alumni. So making sure that in all layers of Thread that um, young people uh, or those who were previously younger <laughs> but are now um, kind of further along in their journey are really guiding the evolution and the direction of our community. And, and I would say their voices have driven two critical things above all else in, in recent years, especially one is this idea that we have to impact the ecosystem and thinking of the city as a unit of change mm -hmm. that came from just un, just very painful experiences with our first cohort after they finished their post-secondary programs and then struggled to find jobs. We had a young person who was like in year 10 of the journey, they were looking for a job. So they ask a volunteer in Thread, and the volunteer's like, I don't know anything. So this person then asks her husband. He's like, I don't know, but let me check with my friend. A couple days later, I get a call from the CEO of a major corporation, and it turns out the friend was actually a board member of that company. Mm -hmm. So he had called the CEO and said, hey, I've heard about this young person, Johnny, and you know we need Johnny to be employed tomorrow. And I was like, oh, that's how the world works. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, okay. And this young person who's now um, actually on our staff says, oh, okay, that's how the world works. So once we started to kind of like understand these things together, then we said, okay, if that's how it works, how do we make that work for our young people? Right. And so that's, and, and, and that's why like, if we can get to that scale of 7% of every freshman class, what that would mean is you'd have a community of thread in Baltimore of about 20,000 adults, students, their families, volunteers, collaborators, board members, staff, donors. So now you're really looking at like 5% of the city's population. I mean, it definitely sounds like you uh, you walk the talk uh, in a way few um, organizations are, are able to. So just um, really thrilling to hear how you have um, in, embedded um, young people's voice and in, in agency and in, in all levels of your work. And my last question really draws on something I think you started to get into, and it's about the the ecosystem thread is a part of the solution, but obviously not the whole solution uh, that we need for young people. If you step back and look at the bigger picture, what would you change about schools, families, systems, and communities to better serve young people? I think the answer to that is also a huge part of why, I mean, I didn't go to high school in Baltimore, so I know I'll never be from here, but <laughs> I have been here since I was 18. And I, I just, I can't imagine loving a city any more than I do Baltimore. And part of it is that when you think about where we are right now, we got here because of systemic racism. We got here because of redlining. We got here because there were systems put in place, policies put in place that intentionally were created to isolate us from one another and keep us disconnected. And so... For, for, for me, it's about 
what are the things that are in Baltimore right now that are that are actually creating the repair to that? So what are the things that are actually bringing people together in deep and in intentional ways where they can understand themselves and one another better? Because if we can do that, I think then that impacts the you know, our schools, our family, our systems, our communities. And, you know, I think like we're an extremely small part of this. And, and what we try to do is just work really, really closely with other organizations that are trying to uh, bring about that, those deep relationships and help people to be less isolated and do it in a way that creates some permanence. Um, and as, as our former board chair likes to say, everything that we need to know we learned in kindergarten, which is don't hit and share. And I think, <laughs> you know, just a little bit of sharing goes a long way. In, and, and, and so I think th those are the things that are going to better serve our young people. Well, that's awesome. And um, while you might not be the whole solution, Thread is such a very special part of this uh, community. And I know you've gotten national recognition for um, what you have built here in Baltimore. We are grateful to have you in this city. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and um, sharing your work and your journey with us. It was great to have you. Thank you. I really enjoyed our time together. Appreciate you including us. And thank you to our listeners uh, for joining us today as well. If you liked this conversation, please rate our show on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. You can ask questions and leave feedback on Twitter by using the KCCast hashtag. To learn more about Casey and the work of our guests, check out our show notes at aecf.org forward slash podcast. Until next time, I wish all of America's kids and all of you a bright future.